What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I guess I should reiterate for people who are just now joining House of L. We love to talk with people and hear their stories about... The whole point of House of L is talking with creatives about how they got to where they they are and where they're going next. So in, inside the podcast, we do a lot of stuff. Like we do the Sports Adjacent podcast with the guy who's on this episode and Jason Leisure and Anthony Gill. We do a baseball podcast and there's baseball season. I'm doing some more basketball stuff and kind of potpourri, like all of this stuff. We love to talk with people and hear their stories. And media people in Chicago, and I know there are a lot of you that don't listen, that that aren't in, that listen that aren't in Chicago, and I appreciate it. But media people in Chicago carry a big weight. I don't know why it is that the, the media people here are celebrities, but apparently they're celebrities. So hearing... Their stories, and I like for them, I like for people to tell me about the hard stuff. When they thought that they weren't going to make it, and what are the things that help push them through? Because I feel that those are lessons that can cross over from one type of job to another. You can listen to the lessons of Mark Grody and know that they don't just apply to people that are working in radio and television. That there's a struggle for a lot of people when it comes to substance abuse that they have to work through. You know what I mean? You can listen to Afia Owusu talking about imposter syndrome in our episode. 
and know that that's something that isn't just the business of broadcasting. So I'm glad that that we have this forum, and I'm glad that you're listening to this particular episode because this is great. This is a celebratory episode here. I had always planned on having Russ Dorsey on House of L, where it was just me and him, and we could just talk about the industry, mainly because I think he's really sharp. And we have, if I could, if I could tap my own phone, this episode of House of L will sound very much like what a conversation between Russ and I on the phone sounds like. I don't talk on the phone to many people. I always pick up the phone for Russ. I'm just, you know, I do this for a living. I talk to people on the phone basically for a living. So I don't usually talk a ton to folks on the phone. I'm more of a text message, email type dude. DM me, like that sort of thing. By the way, if you want to ever email the podcast, House of L Pot. In three, two, one, House of L podcast at gmail.com is how you can email the podcast. But Russ and I talk like this fairly frequently about the industry and, and where things are going. I always like his perspective because he's a lot younger than I am. And seeing the industry through his eyes often gives me some hope. Because the business can make you skeptical, sometimes leaning into cynical. But having a chance to get to know Russ a little bit over the last few years and seeing his approach to this business is awesome. And now he put out there that he was leaving the Sun-Times. It it was a, a huge deal that he was the beat reporter for the Cubs at the age that he got promoted to it. And now he's being given an opportunity to work a multimedia platform with Bally's and Stadium Network. And I couldn't be happier. And one of the cool things about Stadium is that you get to do national stuff in your hometown. For a long time, you had to make a choice If you were someone that was from the Midwest and specifically from Chicago, you had to choose, like, am I going to follow my dreams out west to L.A. or am I going to go to New York? And having more places here that will give people more of an opportunity where it's not completely foreign to them to move to some place like Chicago if they're from St. Louis or Milwaukee or Indianapolis. It's great. It's great that, that they continue to do that and put out quality stuff. And it's all the people over there, like they know how I feel about them. I, res- I really respect the job that's been done by a lot of folks over there. Uh, and I loved my time there, too. When I worked there, I worked there for three years. As it was getting off the ground, which makes it even cooler to see where it is now. But Russ is, he's a wunderkind. Everyone's seen it. Everyone in our business is like, yeah, I wish I could be that young and that talented. And now he gets an opportunity. So we 
talked about his journey to get there. Like, what are the lessons that he learned? He's only 27. How did he get here? And how, how does he end up valuing it? I think this is a great episode for everyone. And especially for, if you're someone who's got kids, this is the type of episode that I would like for you to let them hear. If you've got high school kids, college-age kids, that are trying to figure out their place in the world, there's something to learn from from Russ Dorsey and his journey. If you're someone who loves the Cubs, if you want to know how we think about some of the things on, on how coverage is supposed to go, I think you'll get a kick out of it too. My conversation with Russ Dorsey about his new gig at his new place and how he got here at this point on House of L. Three years ago, when you started doing pods, I wasn't even in the business yet. And I was like, dude, one day I'm going to be on this podcast. Is that not crazy? It's super crazy. Like, where? I used, I used to drive. And this might have been when I first broke in in end of 18. I'd be driving from my, my parents' house in Park Forest to... Tribune Tower oh, to work on the weekends. Goodness right? gracious. You, the, the, the things you do to trying to break into the business, right? No doubt. And I was working a nine to five after college, working at a nonprofit, uh, getting low income uh, high school students scholarships for school, right? I do that Monday through Friday. And then Friday nights and Saturday nights, I'd work at the Tribune doing ag at work, right? And I would drive in and I'd be on the Dan Ryan driving past the G rate. And I'm like, man, I'm going to work in that building every day at some point. And I didn't know I'd be working on the other side of town, but just like in general, like I'm going to be in a ballpark working. It just hasn't happened yet. That takes a lot of dedication, man. And it's, it's really, it's a really good, it's, it's a very good example of like goal setting, by the way, my grandfather's house was in Park Forest. Good place to live, man. Well, Good I, upbringing we, in Park Forest. Man, we used to go there. I used to love it because my grandfather had horseshoe, had a horseshoe pitch yeah. in the back. And he was really good at horseshoes, so we would go and throw horseshoes. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really have any sense of how far it is you are away from home. And even though we were only coming from Roseland, it felt like it felt like the end of the earth, man. Like it felt right. like it was so far away when we go to Park Forest. And I used to remember we would always go down Cicero because they had it wasn't Baker Square. What was the name of it? It was called Poppin' Fresh back yep. then. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> The Poppin' Fresh, yeah. And there used to be a Hostess outlet store just south of 30 on Cicero. And we used to go there all the time. So I, I have so many fond memories of, like, going to my grandfather's house in Park Forest and hanging out there. It's very, It's a very interesting place. Like, the way that the houses are set up and also, it's a very, like, of the south suburbs... Of the southeast suburbs, of the, the suburbs that are east of I-80, 
I find it to be one of the more interesting of yeah. the group. It was like um, one of the first real towns like that in the mm-hmm. country. That was always this claim to fame. And so it had this big center, big square where Marshall Fields was for a long time. And then the idea was when guys came back from World War II, they had a place like Park Forest. You can come and live, have jobs, have your little mall area. And then obviously Marshall Fields left and, the, and it kind of died, that idea. But <laughs> still great place to live. Yeah, I mean, that was my grandfather coming back from World War II and, and putting, setting up shop in Park Forest. So, yeah, it's it, you hit it right on the head. Man, when I, I think about like where House of L was three years ago, where – we were just getting off the ground and I wasn't even sure, honestly, like I, I knew I wanted to do it. Like I knew that I wanted to do a podcast for a really long time, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And so Goff and, and Zampillo were actually the people that focused me on what it was going to be, like how I was going to do it. And, and now I think about it, man, the people that have been on this podcast when when you come out the gate with your first three episodes are Jason Benetti, Cheryl Scott, Jason Goff, you know, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's a pretty pretty good way to start things off. And and now I love it because I hear so many great stories about people's lives and careers. And yours is is one that I think is very. It's important for young people and i'm including you in that group because you're so young (laughs) it's important for young people in our business because we tell them the horror stories and i know i tell them the horror stories because i want them prepared like i want them i want them to understand how hard it's going to be how little money you're going to make how rare opportunities are but you can still persevere so it's great to have you on the podcast because look at what you've accomplished in a very small amount of time. And it's it's a in big portion because of your drive, your talent, and you want it real bad. So I, I, I want to start with where does that come from? Like that that drive. Where is where did you figure out that you had that from? I think a big part of it comes from being an athlete, right? I was an athlete my entire life, and you get to a space where all right, I, I want to win. Like I'm super competitive and I've been that way my whole life. And when I stopped playing sports, I think I was, uh, I tore my Achilles my freshman year in college playing basketball. First week I was on campus. Wow. And I wasn't going to be able to play baseball anymore. And it was like, I'm, I'm, I was a business major. Didn't want to do that. I was just like, Oh, I can just pass the time and I'll try to walk onto the baseball team. And I lost the thing I was, competitive at my entire life so it's like what feels this void uh off like a lot like you talk about the former bears you know alex and lance and those guys who like they leave the field and it's like what they have to find their thing or any athlete after they they leave their sport and it was like what feels this void for me and it was writing and i didn't want to get into it i didn't even like doing it and a guy that lived on my floor never forget his name is david sour he heard me always talking to guys. Guys would always come to my my dorm. I had the big TV. I was the guy from Chicago talking all loud. Your team sucks. And this is why. This guy can't shoot free throws. This guy couldn't throw a baseball from me to you. Like, 
And he, he came into my room one night and he was like, dude, you should write for the school paper. And I said, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. Why did you think it was a bad idea? I hated writing, Lawrence. Like, my English teachers in high school were like, you're brilliant. And I'm like, I hate this. I like one <laughs> book in high school. <laughs> it was Macbeth. I love Macbeth. Really Great. cool, right? Other than that, I was a read the back of the book guy. Um, my entire life, and my parents who are going to listen to this would agree, parent-teacher conferences were always, Russ is brilliant, and he could get straight A's if he wanted to. But sometimes he just he, he just doesn't want to. <laughs> and so that was me. And I wasn't a bad student or anything like that, but didn't love writing. Like, it just wasn't my thing. Uh, I, like you, big history guy. And so from first grade to when I graduated from college, I never got anything lower than an A in history. So that was my thing. Wow. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to write. And I needed something to do. I needed something to pass the time. And I needed something to to fill that void because I wouldn't wasn't going to be able to play baseball again. And I said, all right, dude, fine, whatever. And he was like, look, I can teach you how to write. I can't teach people what you have in your head about sports. And I said, fine, I'll do it. And the first day I was officially, quote, on staff was baseball media day at Oral Roberts. And I had never interviewed anybody. I had never written an article before. They were just like, yo, go to media day and, and talk to people. And I'm like, is this how it works? Because y'all about to get the shittiest story you've ever gotten in life. And I'll never forget it. I was up all night researching, studying guys, what guys had done the previous season, what guys had done two seasons before, where how the team had done in the, in the tournament and was shitting bricks that morning. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, this could go so bad. And the first guy I interviewed, a guy by the name of Jose Trevino, who is now the catcher for the Texas Rangers. And he, I talked to him about it like maybe two years ago. He said, I would have never known that you had never done that before. And that was the first interview I've ever done. And after it, I, I was like, okay, this is cool. But it was always, I knew what to ask guys because I was a baseball player my whole life. I knew that missing a cutoff man would make the head coach upset. I knew what would frustrate a player at the plate. I, I knew things to look for. And then it even expanded beyond baseball where living in Chicago, like we have every sport, right? My dad used to buy both newspapers. I used to read the paper after him. And and like, I grew up with the score. And so listening to thoughts and being able to develop my own subconsciously, I didn't know I wanted to do that as an adult, but having that background in it really helped me. So um, it's like, once you get that taste, that's what drove me. It was like, okay, I, I'm okay at this. Like, let me see how far the rabbit, what, what may, uh, Morpheus say, let's see how far, you want to see how far the rabbit hole goes? Right. And once you get that little taste of it, you're like, okay, I can do this. What steps did you take to improve on your writing? I just wrote as much as I could. I covered almost every sport and I just took it really seriously. I was at every baseball game. Um, I was at every women's basketball game. I was at every men's basketball game. I was covering soccer. And it it was just, I needed to get thoughts out, right? I just needed to get words 
on pages and turn uh, phrases into sentences, sentences into paragraphs and paragraphs into a story. And that was really important to me because I might not have known uh, how to be the best writer at the time, but I knew if I continue to develop the skill, continue to hone the craft of, I just need to get thoughts out, right? And over time, naturally, I'll be able to develop that into my voice, right? Or what eventually becomes your voice. Um, so that was a really part, important part of the process. Just like, I just needed to write. And I there, they didn't have a baseball writer. So I was instantly their baseball reporter after <laughs> that first day. They had a guy who used to play, who liked baseball. And guys on the baseball team would tell me things because I'd see them. They'd be like, you know way more than people who used to cover this team so we're going to talk to you and uh the coaches were the same way and just turning those relationships and what i would learn would be a foundation of how to do this job well and turn that into being able to develop my my voice as a writer so when's the part when you feel like this isn't just something that i'm doing in college that it actually could lead me somewhere the summer Summer 2016, I interned at the Daily Herald. And I felt I was getting pretty good at it. I was sports editor. They named me sports editor my the end of my sophomore year in college. And that was insane to me. I'm like, dude, I, this this is nuts. Is this how it happens? Um, but it was it was like this is a lot of pressure, but at the same time, I I felt that I could do it, right? I, 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 knowing how newspapers work here in the city, I'm like, okay, I, I know what stories work. I know what to look for. And then to, on a micro level in, in college, it was just like, okay, um, men's basketball can lead most days. I know I'll be writing baseball. So <laughs> I kind of made sure right, I'll write all baseball and basketball, and then I'll find a freshman that can cover golf. And then we'll do that and develop them and then put them on a bigger beat uh as they they get older um but it was it was that at that moment where i was like okay i i got this internship it's awesome i can go back home i'll show people like i don't know who this russ dorsey character is but he's good this maybe two months before summertime where i was i should have been here at home uh i applied for like 10 internships all of them said no right nine of the 10 said no the one that said yes with the Daily Herald. And so I'm like, all right, sweet. I know the Daily Herald. And my first day as an intern at the Daily Herald was the day Muhammad Ali died. And my editor was just like, yeah, I need you to go track down Al Bernstein, legendary Hall of Fame boxing analyst, used to live in Cicero local guy he was like go track him down he now works for showtime boxing and i was just like dog it's my first day <laughs> what, are, what are we doing here but i, I get on twitter and i, I was like oh, this is gonna be awful i'm gonna not achieve something on my first day so i dm him like hey al my name is russell dorsey uh i'm an intern at the daily herald i know you're having a really busy day but would love to talk to you if you have some time send him a dm Go back to my editor. I'm like, hey, I reached out. I'm going to try to wait and I'll write something while I wait. About an hour later, I get a DM from Al Bernstein 
And look, I, I had no following on Twitter at the time. I had no blue check. So this was really a shot in the dark. Right. And he DMs me back and he's like, hey, I've been doing, I've been saying no to interviews all day, but I saw this was your first day as an intern. And I remember how hard it was once you break into a business of any kind. And as a local guy, like I, I want to help you out. So call me. And we had a great conversation. That was my first story that I wrote uh, here in town with the day Muhammad Ali died. And it was at that point, I'm like, oh, I could like kind of breathe. I'm like, okay, I, I hit a deadline. I, I was able to reach out to somebody that got back to me, turn that into a story. You probably then, did oh, something that your editor didn't think that you could do. Right. And it, it changed his, his perspective and opinion of me coming in on that first day. Like, okay, this guy can can go find the story, right? Can go find the person that we really need to make the story pop. And over the weeks, it was like, okay, I was, I had never covered golf before. And they put me on one of the bigger tournaments that year, the international crown, right? It's like a monster uh, LPGA tournament. It's basically like the, uh, the Ryder cup for the LPGA women from all over the, the world coming and competing different countries never covered golf in my life Lawrence. Right. And so they like, Russ, take your ass up to Gurney and cover this. <laughs> and so I'm like, dog, I've never covered golf before. Who do I know that knows golf? And as I talk to you about all the time, my dad's a scorehead. I'm a former scorehead, current scorehead. I'm not gonna lie. And I had been listening to Barry Rosner for years. I was wondering when we were going to get to, and then I met Barry Rosner. That was the first day. I was just like, I know Barry's a big baseball guy. I know he's a big golf guy. I'm going to reach out and see what happens. So I, I sent him an email. I'm like, Mr. Rosner. And now that I know Barry for as long as I have, like, that's hilarious. Mr. Rosner, my name is Russell Dorsey, and I'm an intern with the Daily Herald this summer. I'm at a golf event. I've never covered golf before. I was hoping that like, I could just talk to you. He was like, he emails me back like 20 minutes. I like, they're sending you out there by yourself. And I said, yes. He's like, well, that's shitty. Okay. I'll be out there tomorrow. So I go to this golf event. It's like 99 degrees, uh, middle of summer. And I have, you know how we have to be at golf courses. So I have like this dress shirt, tie, slacks in 98 degrees. Cause I'm like, look, I need y'all to know I have a reason to be here. Okay. Walk into like the clubhouse area. One of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like it looked like a sports book. Like they had the, the leaderboard. Yeah. The golf club, And then they had all these tables for reporters I will say the best spread I've ever had as a reporter came that day. Like food was amazing. All right. So wait, wait, let's, let's not walk over that. What, what was amazing <laughs> about that food? They had like little prime rib sliders. They had this great chicken salad. Like they, they just had an, an, like a spread that they would have had in the clubhouse for the players they had in there for, for the media. Uh, and it was super cool. And then I, I sit down, I have my laptop and I'm like trying to figure out a story to write. Cause I had to file that day by five o'clock. And I see this dude in like a bucket hat, <laughs> t-shirts and khaki shorts. 
And he walks up and I'm like, hey, Barry, I'm Russ Dorsey. He was like, hey, how are you? And, and I'm, in my head, I'm like, dog, I'm, I got my Sunday's best on. And this dude just rolled up in a t-shirt and shorts. And he sits down and we're talking. He was like, Russ, you have pants on. And I said, well, uh, Barry, human beings are supposed to wear pants. Like, <laughs> this isn't a shocker. And uh, we clicked and connected right away. Like, we have this similar, similar sense of humor. We talked. He gave me advice on how to cover that event. And, like, we just kept in contact. He knew I was – I told him that day I was a big baseball guy. We talked about baseball that day. Um, another sidebar, the first question I ever asked about golf at the first golf event I ever covered was on the golf channel. Pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's, that summer was really important in my development where I was like, okay, I can do this. I, I covered baseball. Like I was able to ask people questions and, and people responded like, okay, this kid knows what he's doing. I don't, they didn't look at me as some intern. And in another way, like it was the first time people like, you know, Gordon Wittenmeyer and, and Jesse Rogers and, and, and Tony Yandraki and, and Sahadov and Pat, like all these people saw me for the first time five years before I became their, you know, colleague. Um, and it was some, it's some, something really important for me where I'm happy I did a really good job, but I tell kids all the time, like, hey, when you're in the room with people like that, like always do your best because you never know where you're going to be in years from, from now. Like if I was just some bag and, you know, people remember everything because I, I, I'll never forget when I got the job at the Sun-Times and I was introducing myself to uh, Peter Chase and Jason Carr, who's now the director of media relations at, for the Cubs. I said, hey guys, I'm Russ Dorsey. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be taking over for Gordon Wittenmeyer at some time. just want to introduce myself, say hello. Because I didn't think they remember me. They were like, no, no, no. We remember, you were an intern uh, the year we won the World Series, right? I was like, yeah. They were like, oh, really happy for you. That's awesome. Um, no, welcome. And it was just like, man, like, I'm glad I was not some bad because it could have been terrible for me. But uh, long story short, that's really where, you know, I was like, okay, I can really do this job. Like, I can come home and be able to write not only about baseball but about different sports feel comfortable in my own skin as a reporter and that was really the the foundation of where that all started what's it like to have barry rosner as your yoda (laughs) it's crazy (laughs) that guy is a nutcase uh but i love him to death he is uh an excellent human being he looked out for me when I didn't get jobs, when people weren't letting me write, when I didn't hear from people. And it was just really tough in the business. He was always there. And I was so happy when I was able to call him and tell him, hey, man, they just gave me the Cubs beat for the Sun-Times or the call I just made to him two weeks ago about the job I have now. Like, that relationship is really important to me. And having that mentor that you can just talk to like a phone call with him is never short. Like it's always two hours. Correct. That is, that is a fact. Right. And so then, then we'll like, we'll text and he's like, let's go drink this weekend. And I'm like, okay. Um, That's always a great time too. But 
having him as a mentor, a guy who you, who has seen everything in, in our business, both as a reporter in radio, TV, and I think for me as a baseball guy, a lot of my development came from him because that summer I'd be, you know, I was driving my, my parent, my dad's Chrysler Aspen from Park Forest to Arlington Heights every day, right? Talking about how bad you want something. And there'd be some days you get caught in that Arlington Heights traffic by the airport and I wouldn't get home for two hours. Yeah, these people who think that this Bears thing is going to be easy peasy have never no. driven up there. And don't Absolutely not. And don't understand that it could be problematic. Like, there could I, – I hope that there's a lot of infrastructure improvement that ends up happening. But, I mean, I know exactly where the Daily Herald building is. Yeah. And, and the Bears' new stadium wouldn't be very far from it. Good luck. Good luck exactly. with all so, of that. I had a lot of time in the car, right? And I would call him because I'm like, well, I'm not going nowhere. And we talk for hours while I'd get through traffic about baseball and how to cover a beat. And he would always tell me, oh, the 25th man is important. Now the 26th man is important. Like everybody wants to talk to the star. Usually they don't have anything important to say. Yeah, on occasion they will. But like he would always tell me people lie about themselves, but they tell the truth about everybody else. And it was good to keep in mind because it's like when I want to paint a proper picture of somebody, I can't just go one source it, talk to them and be done. Like you have to get a full picture. And uh, like I talked to him about reporting and he would tell me about his years on the beat with Maddox and Andre Dawson and Sean Dunstan. And like, <laughs> it's crazy the, the, what my coverage experience is like and what his was like, he was damn near on the Cubs. He was telling me a story and I love it where one day before a game, He's sitting, he sees Greg Maddox sitting on the floor before a start, right? Hour and a half before a start. And him and Maddox were, were close. And so he just sits on the floor with Greg, Greg Maddox. No recorder, no notebook, no nothing. And they're just talking and they're talking and they're talking. It's 30 minutes before first pitch now, right? Pitching coach comes in and he says, he looks at Maddox and he's like, so are you pitching today or no? And Maddox looks at Barry and was like, well, I should probably get out there, right? <laughs> and so Barry goes up to the press box and Maddox throws a two-hit shutout complete Cause, game. Because of course, because of course Greg Maddox does that. But it's stories like that where I'm just like, this is insane. But it it was so valuable to me. And it built our relationship because it was I never asked him, Hey, can you get me a job at the Daily Herald after my internship? It was, I want to do this job really well, right? That's the only thing I want from you. Tell me how I should do this. I can do this job really well. And he would give me little nuggets, little nuggets, little nuggets. And we talk and talk and talk. And like that was now going to be six years ago this summer. And like it's that relationship is super important to me. He's so great. I, I don't do it very often because I don't like to bother him. And he's like, you can bother me. It's totally okay. But yeah, I tell him all the time. He's the uh, will, he's among me willfully unemployed. So please bother him. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll start bothering him more. Uh, but I, I, I have so many questions and things I just want to run by him 
where I have to ask stuff like, am I being a bad guy on this? Or am I justified in being angry about this? And he's always been good at either telling me, hey, you're being an asshole, or no, you're completely justified by being mad about that. He's one of the most gifted, naturally gifted storytellers I've ever been around. I've been around some good ones. Dan Hampton is an incredible storyteller. Doug Buffone, an incredible storyteller. Terry Bores, maybe the best storyteller ever. Barry Rosner is right there. Like, he's so good at painting the picture. And I'm not talking about what he does, what he did professionally. Clearly, he was good at it professionally. I mean, you just hang out. Like, I'll, I'll... he was one of those guys that would keep me from doing my job when I was in, in the Bears press box. Absolutely. I would go sit with Barry for a quarter, and we'd talk about the game, but we'd talk about other stuff. And I just he, I just adore him. Like, I, 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 anytime that I see him, he's one of those people that when you see them, it brings joy to you. And you're like, I love that guy, and I'm glad that he's here. Because he understands what the hell is going on around here. And he you find those people that like just don't care anymore. Yes. <laughs> he's like that. He's like, I don't care about they can take me away. Take me, please. You're doing me a favor. Like he's <laughs> that type of guy. And I met his daughter. Uh he was out the last year he was he was doing columns of Daily Herald. I saw him. I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? Let's go get food. And so after the game, we go across the street. Um and we go get beer and his daughter lived in the area and she comes over and, and we meet for the first time and me and Barry are joking around and making jokes and laughing and giggling like little kids. And she looks at me and she looks at Barry and she looks at me and she looks at Barry and she's like, why are you guys friends? And I just say, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why this young black dude and this old Jewish dude became friends, but we did. And my life has been better for it. Um, Yeah, that's Barry Rosner. I agree with you wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. What was the experience of working at MLB.com like? (laughs) Different. How so? Well, I'll say the good part first, they, they gave me an opportunity, right? When I wasn't really getting an opportunity to write here in town at the Tribune when I was there working on a desk, I, I just needed a place where I could really take this thing to the next level. And by next level, I mean like lower level next level. Like I needed somebody to give me a space to write about baseball full time. And they had these positions open. They call them RPs reporter producers where you would cover the team in your city. And then when you weren't covering games, you would like produce for web and like post stories, uh, like a part-time editor. I was like, cool. And when they created those jobs, they hit me. They were like, Hey, we're starting new positions. We think you'd be great as our Chicago guy, two teams. We know you want to write. So like you wouldn't have to do the editorial part um, a whole lot. And I'm like, Oh, sweet bet hire me. And that's really where people in, in Chicago and, and even nationally found, I don't know who Russ Dorsey is, but he does a decent job. That's, that's where I became aware of you 
We're seeing your right. stuff at MLB. And so going from that and, and it gave me, and we'll talk about this a little later, but like the experience I needed to do the job that I have now where I was covering the White Sox and I was covering the Cubs, but I was also covering the Brewers and, and the Twins and the Red Sox when they were in town and the Angels. And it gave me a full scope. And I, I really understood the beat dynamic from that job because I was not only around the Cubs beat, the White Sox beat, but I was around the Mets beat and the Phillies beat and the Angels beat. And you find out, all right, who's the person that dominates? Who's the person that asks the really good questions? You learn about TV people, right? And the questions they ask, or you learn about radio people and the questions they ask. Then you you find out like, oh, these are two totally different jobs. Like these people are here to do this. These people are here to get sound and go on their merry way, which, and that's not to knock TV people. I love TV people and I love radio people, but it's just like, it's just a part of learning and understanding the business that you, they don't necessarily teach you in school. Like you have to be out and working to really see it in person. I do think and, that, uh, that, that I just want to stop you just real quick. Cause I yeah. want to talk about that. I do think that it, it struck me as weird too, when I was out covering the bears and I was seeing, okay, there are a lot of TV people that are asking questions specifically for a bite that they're going to put into a package. And then they're going to run that package at, at four five, six and 10. And it always was weird to me that, that there wasn't always a covering there was like this weird stretch of time because there there were people like Brad Palmer, who used to be the the big reporter at Channel Seven, and Brad was kind of the 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 leader of the beat, so to speak. Like he got the first question on the Bears beat, like that sort yes. of thing. He'd be chomping on his cigar, and I always thought that Brad Palmer did a great job of he wasn't just there to get a bite. He was there to understand what was going on, to ask good questions, and to hold people accountable. They, yeah. He saw a lot of power in the camera rolling and asking questions with people on camera and getting their reaction to it. Yes, there is a – you do have to go in to each day that you're reporting saying, well, these are the big stories. What's going to be my approach to those big stories? And yes, you do have to feed the bear by doing some of that, but you can't forsake that for what if there's another story there and you missed it because you weren't, you weren't on the line of questioning that, that other people were that or people were opening up doors for you to walk through to ask some of those questions so learning that type of stuff on a beat is really significant that you don't you don't have to kind of plug and play where you don't have to do it the way that it, you've seen it done. Some of that, yes, you're going to need, but you also need to be in a place that's going to give you the opportunity to say, oh, yeah, I know that I can get the story on Roquan Smith because – the Bears made him available today, and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about the great season that he has. But there was other stuff that was going on too. Why are we not covering that with the same type of zeal? That's that's kind of what I mean. That 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 it often becomes formulaic 
the way that that we're supposed to cover things de- depending on medium but i've always loved the reporters that have gone beyond what their formula is to try and give you more of of what it is that they're getting when they're out there covering these stories it was the thing i learned being out there it's the thing i love about being on the cubs beat and you learn how a, a beat works. They're all, everybody's competing, but you, you work as a team because some days you need to understand that this is the story of the day and we don't care how bad this person wants us to get off of this topic. This is the story. So the Bears beat did to- a tremendous job of that yes. with the George McCaskey uh, press conference. They, they, they worked as a team to oh, you're going to try and sidestep Dan's question? Well, I'm going to re-ask that question in a different way to get you to try and answer that question because it's a pertinent question. Absolutely. And you learn that. I learned all of that being a part of different beats and seeing like, you guys do this, do an awful job of this, right? And then being in the Cubs clubhouse and watching – Gordon do his thing and watching Sahada do his thing and watching Pat do his thing and, and, and seeing Jesse Rogers do his thing and be like, okay, I, I see what's going on here. Like, I know what the dynamics are. It's not, you know, this person trying to, and, and Kelly Kroll to Kelly, like Kelly's amazing, but like Kelly as a TV sideline reporter was one of the beat guys. And I mean that in a very respectful way, like she was also a part of that. Like she wasn't, like you see a lot of time with people in TV, like they want to, nah, I'll let the beat ask the tough, quote unquote, tough questions. And I'll just ask my happy questions about the game. Get out of here. She didn't do that. Um, and so that getting to see that up close and personal, it, it was a really important part for me of just learning how to be on a beat that I didn't know would come a couple years later, but like I had that foundation to really answer your question about MLB.com though. Um it's different because it wasn't what I would have two years later at the Sun-Times where you're writing for an independent entity that's not under the umbrella of the league itself. Now, wait a, wait a damn minute, Russ. I used to read your stories on MLB.com, and I swear at the bottom of it, it says uh, Russ can write what he wants. He's independent. You mean to tell me that that (laughs) – <laughs> you trying to get me in trouble. You mean to tell me that that was not true? Come on. I saw it. It was right there on the screen in blue ink. You know me, Lawrence. I used to, uh, there was a period there at MLB.com where I would get a text message or email every week like, yo, you can't say this. And I'm not some just out here tweeting crazy nonsense. I'm just honest. I'm like, I'm an honest reporter. I'm fair. I always give you facts. I was just saying things that I believed were honest and it would be like, Hey, you can't say this or you need to rephrase this, or you can't say this like that on Twitter, or you can't say that on Twitter. I made a joke about blackout restrictions one night with Dan Hayes, love Dan Hayes, who, and it was funny and it wasn't wrong. It was, uh, Aloy when he first was, I already, I think it was Aloy got first called up. Um, they were like, uh, Dan Hayes was like, Aloy Jimenez facing off against, it was, uh, I think, Alex Colomay at the time for the Twins. 
facing off in the ninth inning right now. You should turn over and watch. And I just replied or quote tweeted and was like, stares at blackout restriction screen. Right? It's a good joke. <laughs> but accurate. Joke. But completely night, accurate. I tell you, when I say 10 minutes later, I get an email like, take this down right now. There are people at the commissioner's office that were not pleased by this. I'm oh. like, all right, fam, come on. So working at MLB.com, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, well, let's not phrase it like this because this might be too harsh. Words I actually heard before. Um, I don't want to shit on MLB.com because once again, yes, there are a lot of issues over there as we're seeing right now with the lockout. The league's have, uh, having a lot of issues. But I really care about a lot of people that work there. For sure. They were very happy for me when I got that opportunity to have a beat of my own. And it probably would have happened there had something opened up earlier because they believed in me a great deal. Um, But yeah, it's definitely different than writing at an independent entity. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. How did you get comfortable asking hard questions and finding your space in press conferences it takes a it takes a, a little bit like it, it especially when you're getting on a beat for the first time it, it's just like where where do i fit in here it's like playing I double think. dutch right 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 it's just like you, you jump do i jump in do i jump in well i'll answer it two ways first when it comes to asking questions in a pre or post game you have to find where you fit in and that takes some trial and error. It's like, okay, I can ask this question. And once people feel comfortable with you, they're willing to share more. 
it's a lot easier to jump in, right? Because sometimes when people don't know you, they may answer a question short. They might answer it where they're not really trying to hear what you got to say. I think the cool thing about being a part of a beat here in Chicago where I could just learn, right? Like I could be a sponge as an intern, right? And I retained all that. And then I could be a sponge when I was at MLB.com and I could retain all that. And I was jumping out and asking quote unquote tough questions as an intern. I remember my first day at Wrigley, I asked Joe Madden something, the first question. And usually back then it was Bruce Miles that got to ask the first question, but I was Bruce's intern. So Bruce was like, ask it. And I know everybody in there was like, who the fuck is this kid? But Joe respected that, gave me this really thorough answer. And then I'll never forget Sully as we were walking out was like, it's a really good question. Um, but it was, I just wanted, at first it was like, I, I and young reporters go through this. I want to show people how smart I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to show people why I'm in here. The what you don't realize because you're focused on the wrong thing as a young reporter. It's like, oh, I want people to know I'm smart. I want people to respect my questions. It's you're in the room for a reason, right? People already know that you're good at this job because you're in here. They don't let everybody in here. Sometimes it feels like they do, but they don't. And so knowing that, and it, it took me a little bit, but it's like, okay, I know I know baseball. I know I know how to ask a question. I know I, I can, you know, present a thought to a player where it doesn't feel like I'm attacking them, or I can present a thought to a manager and doesn't feel like, Hey, you're an idiot. Cause this guy shouldn't be in the lineup. Like because of who I am and as you know, from my development as a reporter and just as development as a dude, like I know how to do the job where people don't feel offended when I ask something, even when I have to ask something that is viewed as difficult or tough because of the way I can, I ask questions, I can do it where it doesn't feel like that. It takes time though. And, uh, you know, you earn the respect of people that you talk to, right? You, you earn the respect of your, your Theo Epstein's and your Rick Hans and your Jed Hoyers and your David Ross's and your Anthony Rizzo's and your Chris Bryant's and your Jason Hayward's. Um, but it takes time. And, and I, I went into it saying, all right, this won't happen overnight. I'm not going to turn it to some 20 year reporting vet overnight. Sure. But I have to be good at what I'm good at. Like I have to, I can use my strengths to be good at this job right now. I don't have to have the relationships that everybody else has, but I have skills to be in this room and I belong here. And once I realized that like, yeah, I do belong here. Everything else got a lot easier. I feel like that you came along on the Cubs beat at a time of really interesting people that are thoughtful in the way that they answer questions. So what was it like to, to be out there when you are asking questions of Joe Madden and Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer? It's you. I don't take it for granted because you learn. I learned in my MLB.com days, like every team isn't constructed like the Cubs were constructed. Like what, what they built was pretty significant in you had a guy at the top in Theo Epstein, who's going to go to the hall of fame, uh, but was one of the best communicators I've ever heard still, not only in sports, but in general, 
and how somebody can command a room, right? And then the juxtaposition of Theo and Jed and how they're different. Both really good communicators, but Jed is different than Theo. Theo's different than Jed. And they both would tell you that they're different from each other, but they found the perfect mesh between the two of them. And then even after Theo left and Jed took over as president of baseball ops, it was, you know, learning the personality. Joe Madden was the same way. It's learning Joe's personality. With Rossi, it's learning that personality. And then, you know, with players, it's the same way. It's like, all right, this guy is sandpaper on these days, but you can talk to him on these days. And then once you build that relationship, it's like, I know he probably don't want to talk today, but I'm going to go up to him anyway. And he's probably like, oh, I really don't want to talk. What do you have? And then you talk for 30 minutes. It's, it's, they, a lot of you, like you said, unique people over there and like characters. It, it's not often you find that many players who are different, but also have things to say. And uh, you're right. It, it's a, it's an interesting time, but I don't, I don't take that for granted either because there are some beats, man, and knowing from that MLB.com tenure, some teams are just not interesting. Like they're not, there's not a ton to write about. And that's good teams with not a ton to write about. No doubt. That's a thing. A thing. Yeah, for sure. When you get the job at the Sun-Times, how did you feel? There were – if you can hear the, my water bottle close, I apologize. It's totally <laughs> you fine. Can hear, um, it was different because, like, I, I knew Gordon for a while. And I had known the history of the Sun-Times. And the opportunity was so big. And for so long, I had grinded and grinded and grinded and grinded and grinded. And it felt like for the first time ever, people saw my talent. And it felt great, man, because I, I, so many people say no in our business. And for a long time, like I got no after no, after no, after no, after no. Now we can't use your stuff. Now we don't want your stuff. And it's hard as a young reporter to hear that and still be able to block out the noise of, well, I guess I'm not good. And then you turn to Eeyore, like, woe is me. Uh, but it's tough. And, and there was a point where I was just like, is this the right thing for me? Like, yeah, I think I'm really good at it, but this is not happening. And Look, part of it is the the competitive side where I'm like, I keep all of those emails of people saying, no, I still have them. Still have them. And it's it's partly wanting to prove those people wrong, but it was partly like I wanted to prove people right. I wanted to prove the David Kaplan of the world who believed in me. I wanted to you know prove to the Nick Friedels and the Vinnie Goodwills and the Lawrence Holmes and Jay Goffs like, people like that who were just like, nah, this dude is really good at this. Um, I'm, I'll never forget, I was having lunch with Nick Friedel at Ditka's, RIP Ditka's. And I, it was the day after the Tribune said, I couldn't write over there 
and work for Forbes where I was writing a lot and was really starting to get work out there. And I told him, I said, Nick, this doesn't feel right. Like it doesn't feel fair. Like I don't have an opportunity here. I went, found an opportunity crushing and, and they, it's like, nobody wants me to win. And I'll never get, he was just like, you're going to be better than everybody one day. I agree and with him. It was, it felt good, but you almost didn't believe him because it seemed like every door was closing right here. Right. And it's like, every door is closing my face. And I'm not going to compare myself to Jay-Z, but there was a lot of record labels that told Jay-Z no in the beginning. Right. Him and Dame Dash would go into label after label after label after label. And people would say, no, 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 no. And at some point you have to be like, all right, I'll do it myself. And so coming up in the business was like, all right, they're going to say, no, I'll do it myself. And part of it is preparation. Part of it is you got to find breaks along the way. And I don't like, I wouldn't use the word luck or to, or to me, like luck is where opportunity and preparation meet. So if you want to say that I was lucky using that definition, absolutely. I was lucky. But I wanted to make sure that when I got that one chance, because sometimes you only get one, I wanted to be ready. And so for that to crescendo into the Sun-Times job, it was just really a point where I was like, all that work, all that grind and all that struggle of coming up in this business, like paid off. There's a line by Rhymefest that there's a a song that he did with Jazzy Jeff called Practice and they you know sample the Allen Iverson. And the, the line is, I've heard it's better to be lucky than good. Well, in, in my case, I guess I'm lucky I'm good. You know, and that's kind of how I right. feel about you. Like, you're, you're, you're good. Like, that's what ends up putting you in a position to do that. And it's hard because you are usually when you're young and you start out in this business, you're surrounded by people who you've read or watched or listened to. And it can be a little bit intimidating to think, oh, am I at that place now where the, there's going to be someone that's saying the same thing about Russ Dorsey? And the truth is, yeah, like you are at that place because people are going to be consuming your work. And it's it's hard to get through some of that. I know people who you would think are some of the most successful folks in our industry that still deal with, am I good enough? You know, am, am I worthy of getting these opportunities and you're like yes you have a track record look at your track record and it's it's weird Russ because sometimes there's I think that there's a lot of false humility that goes on in our business but the humility aspect of it is you don't want to come off as someone who feels entitled you don't want to do that like you want to make sure that you're still hustling and putting in the work and all of these things but at some point, your talent has to be celebrated. And that's why I always get hype when people win. Like when you told me about this, this new opportunity, which we'll get to in a minute, I'm hyped because you won. And it, and it feels like those are the only spaces where you get to brag on yourself a little bit. And it's hard to get to them because they're so – few and far between which is why to me like the celebration should be huge you know like like it should be yeah. a a huge thing of seeing your friends or colleagues like move about 
in a way, and you know that they that they want it and they're doing everything that they can to to get that next level. It's it's always uh, there's a lot of joy that comes from that, and that's something that I didn't figure out until much later. Where if you know the struggle of your friends and colleagues, and then you see them win, like that's when. That's when the tears happen, you know, like those tears of joy happen because you want it for them and you understand like what it means to them. In some cases, it's more money. In some cases, it's a better opportunity. In some cases, it's just the validation of I've been doing this the right way and I'm going to make the most out of this opportunity. So it's it's weird. It's it's uh. It's something that I I think that in the business we don't do, we try, but I don't think we do enough. Like, we need to do more. And once we get out of, like, COVID, COVID, (laughs) then there can be a lot more, like, grandiose celebrations, uh, especially with some of the the clowns that you have working with you now. (laughs) Uh, uh, Before we get to stadium. Can I I say one thing real quick? Yes. It's... To touch on your point, it's the thing that you and I have talked about for the last year, where I would call you and I'm like, hey, man, this is happening. Or, hey, man, this person called me. And we both love the movie Juice. And you'd be like, hey, man, I'm a local DJ, right? You're not a local DJ. Um, But it's, look, they gave me the Sun-Times beat. I was 24 years old. Or I just turned 25 years old. Like I was the youngest baseball writer in the city of Chicago. And I just had been given a beat to one of the most popular teams in all sports for one of the largest publications in the country. It was awesome, but it was scary because it's now, all right, I, I have to keep putting up numbers. I have to keep putting up numbers. I have to keep people reading. I have to break stories. I have to, and the pressure of that, like initially, like it, it wore off in a short time but it was just like man i have to like am i built for this right i've been wanting this platform for years and it's it feels like it's taking me a long time to get here now that i have it it's like ah this is crazy like should i have this and the idea of imposter syndrome and i never wanted it to come off like oh they're just giving rust stuff now like i worked really hard for all of this but at the same time it's like man like Am I supposed to have this? And then that wears off, and you're like, "Damn right, I'm supposed to have this." That's right. Uh, <laughs> but no, you 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 like, we've had this conversation within the last couple of months about that, and uh, no, it, it does take time to, to to get through that, and especially for me, like, I'm t- just turned 27. Like, there's people will look at it and be like, "Yo, you had a lot of success in a short amount of time." I look at it in perspective as everything like it felt like it took 20 years to get to this point. Um, but yeah, it's never losing that drive that we talked about a couple of minutes ago. Like I worked, I work as hard now as I did when I was working on the desk of the Tribune, trying to break into this business. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't want to get it and be like, Oh, now I'll turn it on because if it was that way. I wouldn't be here. Right. People, people can spot that. Like people can see, it was just like, mm, are you really working hard? Um, so it's always making sure, like, no matter what I did, whether it was when I was 
trying to break in and I was covering softball. I was covering the Chicago Bandits. Go right? Bandits. Hero. They were like, yo, cover the Bandits. And then my old editor who was there when I was an intern was giving me work after school. And it was like, hey, you want to cover high school football on Friday nights? Hell yeah. And I was driving from my parents' house in Park Forest, driving up to to, to Cherry Grove and yeah, it was Lake Forest and and uh, Barrington and all these different places to cover high school football because like I want it really bad, right? I I tell my dad all the time like I'm the reason your car stopped working because I was putting so many miles on it, you know, doing daily hero stuff and then after after that doing high school football and covering stuff on Friday nights. But uh, yeah, it it takes a while to get out of that. I don't belong here. I shouldn't have this. But you realize like the work that you put in and you realize that like the people that believed in you, it's like, okay, yeah, I should be here. I, I do belong here in this position. I've never asked you this question. And considering that the Sports Adjacent podcast is on House of L, I probably should have at some point. How did you and Jason meet? It's a good question. So... We met on the set of MB, um, Sports Talk Live, okay, NBC Sports Chicago, and he had known you for a while, and we just got talking one day, and he seemed like a cool dude, and uh, we shared information, and we just kind of just kept talking, and you were the mutual friend, and it was just like, hey. You seem cool. And if Lawrence likes you, that's enough more than enough for me. And he was different than my other friends. He's very different. He was different from my other friends because he wasn't really old, but he wasn't really young. And I always brag on him after that. Like he's I put a hundred on ten with that because he's not that old. Um, but he was old beyond his years in how he viewed life. And I really liked him. His sense of humor is amazing. And it's a different sense of humor than other friends of mine have. Like, he was very dry, but it would make me laugh so hard because I understood every joke that he said. And he's just, a, like, a great dude. Love him to death. His family's awesome. His wife, Ashley's awesome. And we just, you know, related on a lot of different things. Um, had similar upbringings in the business and nah man it's like just really connected and it's one of those times in life where you're just like yo that's my dude and then just built a friendship from there but that's how we met like it was super organic like we were just doing sports talk live together one day and he was like yo cool dude and we just started talking and, and it grew from there what I like about Jason is he takes his friendships very seriously. Like yeah. if he calls you his friend, he means that. And I think that for men in particular, it's harder. I know specifically for me, it's been harder to build friendships as an adult. Like that's, that's a hard thing. Cause you don't want to, for me, it's, I don't want to infringe on people's time. I know how I yeah. feel about my time, like all of that stuff. And he's broken through that. Like, I, I, you know, like, he'd be like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm just going to come over to your house. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Great. And he would just come over. And even during COVID, 
He'd bring his little chair. He'd sit out on the sidewalk, and we'd just talk during the beginning of the pandemic. I really like that he cares about that stuff. He's he's not words. Like, it's, it's legitimate. And when he's asking you, like, how are you doing, he legitimately wants to know how you're doing. And it's okay if you tell him, I'm not doing great today. And, and, and he can help you, like, walk through some of that stuff. I love the combination of you two guys because you get him. And, and yeah. he's not easy to get. Right. And once, but once you get him, it's like, this dude's a genius. Like, and he bristled like when we were talking, we did the, the Marvel stuff. And I was like, you're Dr. Strange. Like, it's like, that's the easiest one. It's so easy. For yeah. all of us, like we all know, this is who you are, and he was kind of like, "Really?" I'm like, yes, yes, very much so. But he's, you guys are a good combination. It's a good balance of. Clearly, you both respect each other, but I also think that in in your almost of a year of a partnership, you guys have learned when to push forward, when to fall back, and that's great. Like that's that's the telltale sign of a good show when the hosts get to that point. I trust him. And that goes beyond our show. Like I'm very, uh, and like you talked about, like with men being friends, it's actually really like, you should do a podcast on that one day. Like All right, dude, dude friendships. And like, how do you trust people? And I trusted him very quickly. And I don't, I'm not really like that. Um, I'm a friendly person by nature, but it's like to my inner circle is really tight. And so and I'm really respectful of that because um, that's really important to me. And it's really important to him. Like you talked about, like he really values that. And I could trust him with anything. Like I could talk to him about anything. And we'd have conversations like that where we would just talk forever. We'd go and grab food and we'd be there for an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, a lot like my relationship with Barry is in, in a lot of ways, different dynamic, but like similar dynamic. And uh, it's really special to me. And it's, it is something that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't take for granted, like having him as, as a friend, as a brother, and then somebody like who's my partner in a business now. Yeah. And sports adjacent LLC. Like <laughs> I need to trust my business partner and I'm glad we were really good friends before this. And I told him, I'm like, Hey man, like if you don't want to do this, it's cool. Cause like, I know how like friendships and money I said, I will, I, you know what type of dude I am, but I just want to let you know before we do this. He was like, dude, no, like it's, it's going to be fine. And I'm like, I agree. I just wanted to put it out there. So yeah, like that's, that's my guy. And then inside that dynamic, you oh add, my gosh. You already know what I'm going to ask you. Yeah, I do. You add the tornado that is Anthony Gill. Why did you guys do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not to play. I do know. I do know. Um, just how I talked about I trust Jason. Jason and I both trust Tony. Now, sometimes... <laughs> comes with its conversations like hey man let's dial it back but we know tony cares tony's a great friend he really is 
and I love Tony and I love the growth of Tony and I people know I give Tony a hard time it's not because I don't love him and he's not my friend like I'm tough on Tony because one it makes for good content which he thinks is you know above everything uh but also like look at the dude he's become in the last year it's really incredible like he's become uh like a, just a great man in general like that's Tony Gill and then you add the 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 significance of his relationship now and like who he wants to be like the stuff we do on the podcast with Tony is 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 amazing and we're putting on a lot of times because it's, you know it's funny and it's good content but like that dynamic that we all have like that's our real friendship like we went to dinner literally last weekend and we were there for two hours and it was tony shut up and it was it was like that for two hours and us laughing and giggling like kids like that's really us and we thought he brought a different dynamic like it's different from the dynamic that jason and i have and when we're all in the same place like it's triangle offense it's kind of how i look at it right like what I do is different from what Jason does. What Jason does is different from what Tony does. And what we all do together is different as a collective, but it meshes and we work and, uh, you know, and we win that way. And so that's why we, we wanted Tony on the podcast. And like, he's, Tony's one of my favorite people. Yep. Like Tony will text me something and I'm like, Tony, why did you send this to me? Or like our inside joke that we have, the four of us, uh-huh. um, that he'll just poke me about, but it's hilarious. I, I do like that you have now figured that whole thing out. And yeah, we're, we're done. Yeah, we're I done. figured. I figured because there was some shenanigans and you're like, you know what? I'm out. It's not for me. No, and not, some, absolutely not. And sometimes you learn. Sometimes you go, oh, I really want that. And then you go. It's not for me. Nope. And that's okay. And that's totally okay. And maybe one day it will be for you. But it's definitely not now. No. Yeah, I don't don't think that situation will will turn in my favor at any point. No, I I think that you're doing much better (laughs) the way that you are. So, look, it took a long time to get here. And I know it doesn't seem like it because you're so young. But... This thing, when I saw the murderer's row that you have with you on stadium, I'm like, yo, this is this is going to be a thing. I see you in a, a photo shoot with Shams, who's probably still <laughs> who's still younger than you, right? Like, Shams is still younger than you, I think. No, so I'm the oldest person on the sh- – I'm the youngest person on the show. Okay. But we're the same age. Okay. So you got Shams on there. You got my guy Noise, Brad Evans, who's just I mean, now that you spend some time with Brad, you know. He's the best. Like the guy is legit. Like he's just he I, I'll tell you a quick story about him. And I mean, this is something that we we could do on a phone call, but since we're here, um yeah. I'm sitting there at the Super Bowl a couple years ago before COVID, which is it's interesting, like that whole stretch of time. I think back to that a lot. You were part of that. It was going to the Super Bowl, and then I think I actually got COVID before we knew what COVID was. Yeah. 
Then coming back for the All-Star game in Chicago, which was amazing. Then going to spring training. Then the week later, we were on Sports Talk Live together before the whole world shut down. Right. Brad Evans was sitting. He was. I didn't know that he was going to be at the Super Bowl. And it had been a while since I had covered a Super Bowl. I was I was filling in for JJ because his wife had just had his two beautiful little boys. And, and he was on paternity leave. So, you know, a bunch of people there at NBC, like, they knew I had, like, a name in the game, but it's like, what's this old dude doing here? Like, I, I kind of yeah. felt that vibe. I felt that, like, why is Lawrence on this trip? And then they found out when I showed up on Radio Row why I was on the trip because people was like, hey, you're here, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come and sit down and talk with you. Seeing Brad Evans there, he was like two tables away from me. It gave me so much comfort because he like, because he's, he's that all the time. And he came like running towards me in his fedora and his T-shirt. And he's like, what's up, brother? And we start just wiling out there at Radio Row. He was telling me the latest thing that he was on. The guy's so smart and so prepared. All the time, he's got incredible energy that's not bullshit. It's actual. That's who he is. He's running 100 miles an hour, like, all the time. You guys are going to have so much fun together. But for the people who don't know, what's the show, where is it at, and how can people consume it? Yeah, so the show launches. I don't know when you're dropping this, but uh, Monday the 24th, is the, the show's launching. Um, it's great. It's myself and brad has a show launching that day too uh it's myself it's sham sharania who's the og nba reporter even though he's 27 years old like everything like being around sham's last couple of weeks and seeing how his days are he's a machine yes he is and i'm really excited for the show because people are going to see a fun side of shams that they don't get to see they just see sources tell me uh shams that's a cool ass dude and i'm really excited for people to see that my guy joshua perry from big 10 network is is also going to be on the show awesome dude football knowledge out out of this world played in the nfl for two years with chargers brooke fletcher who's coming in uh coming from valley sports detroit who you know you know her dad played for the white Sox. she was on the 1983 uh white Sox. scott fletcher um my dad was actually like really cool like to find that out. I'm like, yeah. Um, so it's the four of us. It's a different show. It's a unique show. It's, you know, Shams is our NBA guy. I'm the MLB guy. Um, Josh was the, the, the NFL guy. Brooke is all of those because she's covered all of those. And we each have our expertise, our expertise. And like, it's a show with four people under the age of 30. Incredible. You don't get to see. And uh, so I'll be doing that. And, and it's going to be on... Valley Sports, um, hopefully uh, another station here in town so people in Chicago can actually see where we record the show. A uh, couple of weeks, going to be on Stadium and, and some more channels as the weeks go on. I'll make sure everybody has all those. And then I'll be the national MLB guy for Stadium and, and Valley Sports. So really cool uh, things have happened over the last couple of, of weeks. What does it mean to you to get that level of validation where – you go from 
being an intern, working on the desk, to covering golf, to covering preps football, to getting a chance to cover a beat. And now at this point in your life and career, for someone to say, we want Russ to be our voice on national baseball. What does that mean to you? Everything. And uh, I was at my parents' house maybe a week, week and a half ago, and I told them what had happened. And you know, I came over a couple of days later, and I'm in my I'm in my old room, and uh, on my wall in my parents' house, there's a piece of paper above my bed um, from 2019, and it had seven, eight goals on it for that year. And really humble goals. Like <laughs> I wanted a thousand followers on Twitter and I, I wanted to be verified and, you know, I wanted to break a story. Um, <laughs> the one I really like, cause it's like a hundred percent me is like, I want to meet 20 new people this year. And, uh, you know, and then a couple more. And I remember the year prior I made a list of goals and I didn't, I didn't accomplish any of them. And it felt like I was failing because after I graduated from school, I didn't have a job. I didn't have uh, people knocking down my door to have me write. Didn't have a ton of opportunities and just had to claw and grind and claw and grind to, to find my lane and what my lane was. And going from, you know, writing for you know baseball prospectus as a 19, 20 year old, because I just knew I just needed to get thoughts on a page and they were going to pay me. $20 a month to do it like that was everything to me because like people it was the first place people were like yeah he knows about baseball and then going from that to working at Forbes where I really got to cover stories and you know I had a, a story that an editor said wasn't good enough and, and couldn't you know go in their publication and then the day I dropped it shout out to my guy Spice Adams uh you know, before anybody was talking about Spice Adams, before anybody knew about Spice Adams like that and what he was doing in social media, some snotty-nosed punk who was 22 named Russ Dorsey wrote about it and it got 100,000 views, right? And, like, people read it and, and it was not to say, like, oh, yeah, I showed that guy, but it was like, I can, I can really do this and go from that to, you know, working at MLB.com where I really got to break into baseball and really got to show people that, you know, I had a voice in baseball and I could have a voice in baseball or a larger voice. And then to go from that to the Sun-Times where um, I'm one of a handful of black baseball writers in the country. And you and I talk about that all the time. Like that means everything to me. And the reason I even, and I, we, I'm surprised we hadn't talked about this already. Like the reason I even write about baseball is because, you know, I love the NBA. I love the NFL, but like I looked at, the people and the faces that covered baseball and it was like, nobody looks like me. And if I know this sport better than any other, I play this sport longer than any other. Why not? Like, wh why shouldn't I have a voice in baseball? And to have this job now and, you know, thinking about all that, like I started to cry in my parents' house and in my old room and I'm crying now because it's like, 
I don't take any of the no part of the journey for granted. Right. And, and every part of it was important building my character and my de development as a reporter, but as a person, right. It's like, it's really hard to do this job. Uh, not because I think I'm better than anybody else, but it's just like, this is, this is, this job isn't for everybody. And there's times when you feel like you can't, you're not going to be successful in it. And I think about all the people who wanted me to do well, you know, uh, you wanted me to do well. Jason Leisure wanted me to do well. Jason Goff wanted me to do well. Cap wanted me to do well. Gordon Widmeyer wanted me to do well. Nick Friedel wanted me to do well. Vinnie Goodwill wanted me to do well. Like all these people, and I'm leaving out a ton of people that, and it's gonna make me mad because I didn't say it. Like the reception that it, I got that day when I announced what happened a couple of weeks ago, like it was a relief because I know I did a good job on the Sun-Times beat. But it was also like gratifying to see, you know, the validation of years and years and years and years of hard work, you know, come to fruition and, you know, people reaching out like names that I can't say, but like, I was like, wow, like this person just called me and this person texted me to say like, yo, you're going to crush this. You're going to be really good at this. You're good at it already. That means everything to me. And I don't want to just make this be like, oh, I've, I've reached the top at 27. I'm done. Like, I'm thrilled because this just gives me more room, more opportunity, more resources to do what I know I can do. And I'm really excited not only to have the show, because I think the show is going to be awesome, um, but also like, I'm so excited. Like, my favorite thing is to tell stories. Like, I'm a storyteller. I've been around storytellers my whole life. Like. I want to be in your list in 40 years of the best storytellers. And I'm be like, you know, Russ was on that list. Barry's on there first, but Russ is on there. <laughs> like, I, I, I want that. And like, I want people around baseball to be like, man, like I appreciate Russ's voice in this space. And uh, I'm really excited. And like, I, I'm, I'm happy. Like I'm, the last eight weeks have been really stressful for a lot of different reasons and going through a negotiation is crazy. Going through two at the same time is crazier. Um, and then I know there was a conversation I had with my agent. That's, oh, things you're writing down. Another talk about agents and that whole like life. It's super important. It really um, is. I had a conversation with my agent maybe two days before I got an offer from Bally and stadium. And he was just like, what do you want? And we had been talking about financials. Like I told him what I wanted there, but it, it was really kind of just like, yo, what do you want? Like right now? And I told him everything I wanted. Like I told him, look, I was financially, I want to be taken care of, but it's like, I want to have a voice nationally. Like if, if I'm going to be here and this is the trajectory, cool. But like, I don't want to have to play the game anymore. And, and I just want a place where I can feel comfortable. I can be me and who I am and what I am is valued. And I, you know, shout out to my, my agent, Kevin, cause he, he took that and he found a place for me. And so it means everything, man. Like this isn't a, uh, I don't take any of this for granted. Uh, I don't want to be fake, humble dude. 
either. And I, you're right. There's a lot of a lot of Varnell Hill in this business. Fam, seen a lot of it. Uh, when you're trying to get to the yams, you <laughs> 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 don't want to tell you how to get there. Like, I I got big time along the way, and like a lot of stories like that where it's just like, okay, like that shitty but like okay now i know how people are and you know guarding myself guarding my heart from stuff and and all these different things like i'm just i'm happy the journey even started right i'm glad i didn't give up halfway through because we're not even here right now i'm glad i met you at nbc sports chicago where our first day we met at the end of it, we're on an elevator and you looked at me in my eye and you said, we're going to do some stuff. Like, I'm going to figure out how to get your voice out there. And you, you came through with that. And so I appreciate you and your friendship tremendously uh, because you are Lawrence Holmes and you don't have to do that. And like, there's so many people who have just been in my corner texting cap today and like people, people don't really know David Kaplan. They really like, they don't. They think they do. They, they don't a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent correct. And, uh, people like that who are just like, you're really good at this. The first day I was on a, a set with him for sports talk live, sweating bullets coming in. And then you get that three, two, one go light goes on and felt like I'd done a good job. And in the break, he was just like, you're amazing at this. Like, I want you to know, like people aren't, good at this and you know people like barry who you know to have him as a mentor um and to just continue to 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 prove people like that right is really important to me and i appreciate each and every person who's read my stuff who shared my stuff on social who's who's dm me who's reached out and like i continue i i want to i'm a big believer in lift as you climb too i know you are and I try to talk to as many, uh, answer as many of those DMs as possible, those emails. Like, it, it's crazy because you get to a point where it's like, there's not enough hours in the day. I try to talk to as many classes as I can because there's another Russ Dorsey out there looking for somebody to believe in them. And I've had so many people believe in me and who am I to be like, eh, I don't have time anymore. And so uh, just try to continue to be for other people and, and kids coming up behind me like people were for me. I think that's a good place to end things. Congratulations. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I really do. You're going to do a great job and you're going to, the more I see that crew that they have assembled around you, the more I'm like, man, he is about to go on a ride and I'll Man, t- listen, I saw Brad at uh, we had a Bally Sports Stadium meet and greet the other night, and we sent I sent you that picture, and he was like, "Yo, tell Lawrence Uncle Brad's in town, get his ass over here. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have a fun night. We got these two shows launching." <laughs> so he's like, "Monday night, tell Lawrence to break out the coat, get outside, Uncle Brad's in town." I'm such a fan, such a fan of his. He's the man. Russ, thank you for this. I'm glad that we got your perspective on House of L because I think it's really important for younger people to to hear that they can succeed, they can win, 
That's important to to hear that from people. And you're paying it back too. Like you want to show the people that you're that you feel some gratitude towards that gratitude and that that stuff is appreciated. And the beautiful thing is is that all of us who saw it is is what's the common line? It doesn't take a whole day to recognize sunshine. Like we're not geniuses because we yeah. saw it. It's pretty easy with you to be like, oh yeah, that guy right there. Yeah, that's a thing. That's gonna be a thing right there. <laughs> so yes, we. I'm glad that all of the people that have the list of people that you mentioned saw it, but it wasn't that hard to see. And I look forward to a couple years from now, you being back, it, it just being us on House of L again, and us talking about the next thing that you're doing. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, um, your platform, your friendship, and how important this was, this platform was in my development, knowing that, like, look, people had hard rows. Like, listening to Gabe Ramirez talk about his journey, right? Listen to Adam Hogue be like, me and my wife didn't have any money. Money? What? Like, listening to Jason uh, in the beginning, right? Everything that happened to listen to Jason now, right? And and everything that he went through and, and the Cheryl Scotts and, and all the different people that are in this business who had an origin story. It's really important. And I know there are a lot more people out there than me that feel that. Um, younger kids too. So like, it's really important and I appreciate you. Um for a lot of different reasons. Um, and thanks for having me on, man. You're welcome. Now leave me alone. I gotta I gotta pay <laughs> I gotta pay these sports adjacent guys. I gotta write them a check. I got football. Please. I got football to watch. I got all sorts of stuff. So get the hell out of here, kid. And good I luck. I got to you. you. <laughs> I'll see ya. I love Russ. I, I think that he's so talented and he's really, really smart. What he said there when he's talking about proving people right. Our industry, there's a lot of times where you do feel like I need to do something. Like I need to, you take some of the bitterness. I'm guilty of this, I know. You take some of the bitterness and you're like, I've got to prove people wrong. Like I've got to prove the people that didn't believe in me wrong. When the opposite is so much more gratifying. When you're able to look at the people who did believe in you and prove them right. That they were the people that were holding you up at your lowest moments. When you thought that you weren't going to get to the next thing or you thought that this thing that you desperately wanted was the thing for you. And those people were supporting you and saying, you didn't get this opportunity, but guess what? If you keep grinding, something else is going to come along and it's probably going to be better for you. Proving those people right is incredibly gratifying. And so I'm glad that he understands that. But it's not... It's not surprising. Like, he's he's a prodigy. <laughs> like, I'm, I don't even know if Russ understands how, how much of a prodigy he is. It's not supposed to be like this for someone who's this young, but it shows you the level of talent and commitment 
that he has put into what it is that he's doing. And I can tell you, having worked at Stadium Network, I have lifelong friendships from my time at Stadium Network. Michael Kim is one of my most trusted colleagues and friends. Laura Britt, who I worked with, is one of my most trusted colleagues and friends. Tyler Fulgham, Dave Ross, like that whole family. Like I, I got there right as it was starting up. It's a wonderful environment. And it's he Russ is gonna grow and and he's gonna he's gonna be surrounded by really fun, creative people that are gonna take good care of him. And I can't wait to see what he does next. I'm also glad that he is like, hey, we're gonna do this episode. <laughs> I've been on vacation and stuff. But I'm glad that we got a chance to do his episode and we could put it out immediately so that you can share in the success of one Russell Dorsey. It's a good thing and a lot of good lessons inside of there, including the one he said about Cap. If you don't believe him, go listen to the episode I did with Cap about eight weeks ago. Just go back and listen. What you think Cap is is not what he is. I'm telling you. I appreciate your support. I know that I'm putting out a ton of content right now, and it can be hard to keep up with, but I appreciate that you give me the room to do what I need to do. I will talk to you next time. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.